0: Again to Fat Free Film. I'm Joel Marshall
1: and I'm Kamala Lopez Dawson and we have with us today uh, an amazing director, writer, producer, um, journalist and all-around brilliant human being, um Stacy Title and I'm very excited about this interview in particular not only because Stacy is one of my closest friends. But because if I am doing anything besides acting, it's only because of Stacey. She's a major inspiration to me.
2: Oh, you just made me emotional. <laughs> that was amazing.
1: It's true because Stacy went out and made a short film with absolutely no idea what she was doing. Totally decided she was going to do it. She did it and she got an Academy Award nomination. It's so ridiculous
2: to <laughs> make that sound like that was sort of this natural progression from it, but I Oh, you just made me emotional you 're so cool um well, the truth is that, yeah, we did my husband and I, Jonathan penner, we put together um a tax refund, which we weren 't expecting to get, and we used credit cards, and we wrote a short that we could shoot in two days. And we did all the things that you're not supposed to do, like, you know, those things that you read about, like, you know, you hope that you have anything to do with Orson Welles, you know, that he did everything so that every everything became out. He had all these ideas that were never done. So everyone had to kind of push their consciousness. But well, we were completely idiotic and not we're not comparing. I'm not comparing myself to Orson Welles on any level. I wish I could even, like, you know, shine his shoes. But we were completely moronic. We wanted to shoot in black and white. We didn't do a sound um, We didn't do a sound, you know, we didn't go and check the sound and do a sound scout. So we were shooting next to a shooting range. Um, We shot in black and white in the daytime and it was real time outside. So another big problem was we were fighting the sun because what was happening in the movie was in in 15 minutes, but we were shooting it over two days. So the sun moves. So every conceivable terrible thing that could have happened did happen but then it turned out wonderful and you know it's called down on the waterfront and how can people see that film you know um a live film a live film bought it and canal plus in france spain um and portugal bought it it actually was released by strand releasing theatrically i sure how we could get, maybe we could sort of put it online and let people download it somehow. You have to tell me how we can do that. I have it digitally transferred now. Um, the movie was made intended to look and feel like On the Waterfront, because it's a crazy story that happened to my dad, where the head of the Longshoremen's Union was really mad at Bud Schulberg for writing On the Waterfront. And he came in, he was like, fuck Bud Schulberg, blah, 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 blah. And my father and his partner offered to... um make a documentary telling the truth about the union and the guy find out, finally found out how much it would cost and he was like, eh, it'll be cheaper to kill Bud Schilberg and he left. <laughs> so when my dad told me that story, we just thought it would be a really funny movie and so we made this short and, and little, did, you know, little did we know it would turn into this you know wonderful launching pad and I think that's a really important thing is to work for yourself and that's what you were talking about, Cami. was just you, you you have to hire yourself, you have to write your own things, and you have to make your own stuff, and it is your unique voice, and then everyone's going to come and listen, because it's, it's it's all your own. I mean, we did something crazy on that movie, we we mixed it in mono, because I said that's what those old movies sounded like, I wanted it to sound like that, so when if you get to see it, you'll see it was sort of shot with this beautiful creamy slow plus X, this Kodak film We can't even really get much of now, and... Um, sounds like a mono movie so it sounds like a movie that was made at that time but Chilberg played it at his b- birthday party too which was yeah. a great honor for me that was fun
1: and how did you manage to get the academy how does one go about if you have a short film getting an academy award nomination um, well the nomination part is you know
2: obviously the harder part but that you know i have to say to be completely honest short uh, the short film nominations are probably the easiest ones to get because you you know especially the short doc um, branch, which still exists they don 't get as many submissions. The short film thing is a complex thing. Um, if you live in Los Angeles, the Lemley family will screen your movie and that will give you the theatrical screening that 's the the contingency that the academy requires. The only other way is that you have to win a group of festivals, two film festivals, and they have a fifty festival list which you have to win so the easier way to qualify is that you've never been um online and you've never been on television and that the lemley family has and you can call them you know come right about this time of year and say you know that they're very nice and they will they'll show it sometimes at midnight or three in the morning but they'll give you a certificate and then you bring your print over to the academy with that certificate and you can you can apply
1: and it's all only 35 millimeter prints that are accepted
2: by the Academy? That is correct. You have to, it has to be a film piece that was never aired on television. There was a big controversy after David Frankel's amazing short won because it was actually produced and it was a busted pilot. So it was intended for television. It was shot on film and it, it was a great piece and deserved to win. And, you know, he's just, you know, his movie this summer, The Devil Wears Prada is a great movie, made $100 million. He won an Academy Award for his short. But after that, they made a lot more rules around things that were intended for television. They wanted to be
1: a little bit purer, so they, they changed some of the rules. So what um, after your Academy Award nomination for the short, how did that translate into you making your first independent film, which was The Last Supper, where you had an incredible cast of actors, Absolutely. including an unknown Cameron Diaz, Ron Eldard, um, and Joe
2: Paxton.
1: Yeah, Ron. Jonathan Nora Palmer.
2: Dunn, Ron Perlman. It's crazy. um, crazy. Charles Derning, Mark Harmon is in that movie. Pamela Gein, who wrote The Syringa Tree, her, her first movie, brilliant girl, also amazing filmmaker. Um, well, Jason Alexander did my short, and Jason Alexander did The Last Supper. And when I got him to say yes, and he's married to my cousin, so that was a really great asset. He was like the magnet. And that's one of the things you need to do as a filmmaker, is you find an actor magnet. Even if it's not someone who's famous, or is famous, but maybe not everyone knows. Like, Philip Baker Hall is a perfect example. Everyone knows how brilliant he is. And so he, other people, it gives you a certain credibility, and people are drawn to work with that person. Jason, he's married to my cousin and was lovely did this with Jonathan Penner, my husband. And Ed Asner was attracted to it, partly because it was very ironic for him to be playing, you know, this this gangster when he was the president of SAG. So it was just <laughs> a very funny thing. Um, so then by doing that, the guys who were putting The Last Supper together was a guy named um, Larry Weinberg and Matt Cooper. And it was funded by the Cooper family. And um, Uh, David Cooper, his brother, who is a cardiologist, was giving me notes in the editing room. It was kind of a peculiar process, (laughs) but, you know, $500,000 is $500,000, and they were smart. You know, I found someone else who wanted to invest in it, my other friend, and they said, no, we want to own the whole picture, and they turned out they made a ton of money on that movie, but the reason I got the job was they wanted a non-DGA director, smartly, which really now, when I look back on it, I'm in the DGA now, oh my God, I would really um, you know, the guy who distributed The Last Supper in France owns a chateau, which I'm always invited to go stay at because that's why he made that movie played a year there. I mean, when you're not protected, you, Jonathan's made so much money because he's SAG from just acting in the movie. Um, you know, it's it, so that, you get no residuals. No. You had not um, put that into your deal. Well, I wasn't in the director's guild. So that was one of the big things that made me, me appealing to them. So in a way, it was worth it. It was my leg in because one of the things I always tell people is you have to hire yourself because if you wait for people to hire you, wait for the phone to ring, you'll be waiting your whole life and you will kill yourself. So you make your own short, you get your own you know, attention from that. And then that got me Last Supper. So that was a very big thing. And then the casting of The Last Supper, Deborah Zane cast it with her sister, Bonnie Zane. They're both huge casting directors now. I mean, you know, Deb's worked with Soderbergh and Spielberg and blah, blah, blah. Um, we really we really did a lot of off- offers on that movie. We were paying people scale. We did not make a lot of people read. My opinion is if someone's been good, I feel confident that I can, they can be good in my movie. I don't need to see it. A lot of people need to see it. I don't. So that's how we got Ron, Mark Harmon and Ron Perlman and, you know, Charles Durning. And, you know, it became this like avalanche of people because as soon as you pick a start date and it's real, whoever's available will start to, to glom to it. But if you keep waiting for other people's schedules and you keep pushing off and pushing up, you never get to shoot. So I strong, strongly urge people, just pick your start date and stick with it. And you will get namey people to help you and work on it because if it's a good piece of material and they're not doing anything else, and that's what happened with Last Supper and it became a, an avalanche. Um, my attorney, Marcy Morris, represented Cameron at the time Cameron had done the mask, so had sort of broken onto the scene, had not done another movie yet, and had done, had a couple of movies fall apart that she was supposed to do, and I met with her, and we had a really good time, and she smartly, she picked a different part to play than I wanted her to play, she wanted to play the girl who had more of a moral, um, you know, conscious, you know, not just more morally conscious, more of a moral problem with what happened in the movie. And so she said she would do it. She wasn't really the biggest name in it. She became the biggest name after the movie came out. She started to work a lot. Uh, Annabeth Gish is in it. Courtney B. Vance, Jonathan, and Ron Elder all played the roommates. And then I um, got—Bill Paxton did me a favor. He was shooting Apollo 13 at the time, and he came in over the weekend to work on that movie. Uh, It was fantastic. He came in on a Saturday-Sunday when he was working a Monday through Friday schedule. And he's Um, a
0: really really important element of the— film i think too he He, sets up that character in the beginning that so
2: brilliant in the movie he did it he chose that he was going to be like a snake and he wasn't going to move a lot he did some wonderful work and he did a wonderful thing for me as a director was the first time he sort of did a couple bad takes and i still believe to this day he wanted to see if i could see if they were bad and when i said (laughs) that wasn't what i wanted then he was brilliant and i don't think it was my adjustment i just think he wanted to know if if he could trust me it was a really interesting moment I think all actors really want to have one of two things, and you need to really be intuitive about it. They either want their mother or their father. And what I mean by that is they want someone nurturing who can be really supportive and tell them how, you know, that's great, now give me this. Or they want the person who's more distant and they have to please. And I'm not sure everyone changes from movie to movie or from show to show, but actors really want one of the two. And if you can be both those things, um, you can really get, a great, get great work out of them. I um,
0: act- got some great work out of Ron Perlman too. I'm not, th- and he's oh, always okay. great. But that particular character, I would wouldn't have thought of Dan casting Ro- him. Dan but Rosen he wrote,
2: was Ro- Dan Rosen wrote the Last Supper. He's brilliant, and he was obsessed with that character. And he actually had a, a stage show by about a guy named Whitey Ford, and he played this guy. Uh, Norman Arbuthnot was the name of the character, and he was based on, obviously, all of these sort of crazy, you know, right wing, particularly he's based on someone who I'll, I do not want to give him any publicity, so who's just got in trouble for drug, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. prescription drug abuse. But um, Ron um, is one of those people I, you know, and I've worked with Philip Baker Hall, who I mentioned before on Let the Devil Wear Black, which was the next feature I did. There's certain people, they are Rolls Royces, and you don't have to do anything. And that's another one. Ron Perlman opened his mouth, You know, Bill Paxton was like that, too. He would just be brilliant. You know, after he saw that I knew what I was doing. I mean, it's the kind of people you want to work. They make you look great. They make you look like you're doing this incredible job when really they're doing all of the work.
1: Well, don't be too much. Well, I mean, they are doing a lot of the
2: heavy lifting, if you know what I mean, you know.
1: Yeah, but you, you clearly know what you want, and you also clearly know good acting from not so good acting, which is a critical factor. So, okay, so another aspect of who you are and what you do, because really, literally, Stacy and Jonathan are two of the busiest people that I know, and they're always producing stuff. They're always making things. They're always creating things, and that's, I mean, as Stacy was saying, that's how you don't get depressed and burnt out and feel like leaving town is because you make your own reality, as it were, and one of the things you guys are always doing that... Joel and I are are really interested in is these meetings that you're always taking with either studio executives or network executives to make television shows or movies or I, I don't know. Explain a little bit about how you do that.
2: Well, I think the thing for us, um, Suzanne Daniels was very critical in giving us a, a slight direction change in our career, which was You know, everyone always says, you know, in the fifties movies, diversify, 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 like they say, location, location, location about real estate. I think that as artists, as filmmakers, as people that need to pay the fricking mortgage, you have to have diversity in what you do. So she said, Hey, would you like to write television? You know, and we gave her a script that we wrote called Dolan's Cadillac, which was, and by the way, to me, the way you can measure how long or your, 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 your ability to stay in the businesses is what I call, and this is an unfortunate term, the abortions that you've had to have professionally. There's always projects that don't happen. And they're big projects, projects you put years into. And Dolan's Cadillac was was something that Stephen King, it was based on a Stephen King story. It almost got made 15 times. I'm not exaggerating with, with Stallone and Kevin Bacon and, uh, you know, and all kinds of different people were interested in that. It was a beautiful script. It didn't happen. But I gave her that script to read, and that script, just because I wrote that script speculatively and I never got paid for it, launched a whole other part of my career. So there's always a thing that's good that comes out of something bad. I was so devastated when that movie didn't happen. It took years out of my life and really made people think I wasn't a director anymore. Why hasn't she done anything? Because, you know, you keep putting off everything else trying to get this one thing to happen. But she read it and liked it, and she helped us... Get the rights to the Lone Ranger Jonathan thought of the fact that that the Lone Ranger would be a great idea for a TV show and lo and behold Suzanne knew the guy who had the rights she secured the rights we had two weeks to pitch it we went she brought us into all these networks so she became she gave us credibility as television showrunners and producers that to this day you know last three years later that one got produced we haven't gotten another one produced but we were still selling pilots and having meetings and trying to figure out the next idea that will be, you know, the the great idea, you know, that will sustain. Television and, and film are so different, you know, when you're thinking of a television idea, it has to be something that you, you someone's buying a franchise that will last 100 episodes. And you have to know that that's what it'll last. A movie is like a phoenix. It'll continue to live and live and live and, and, and maybe it'll come back in 10 years and get made. But with television, it's 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 either happening or it isn't. It's dead. It's dead as a Freaking door now, but it also has to live a longer life. So there's sort of these different things and creatively, it's wonderful to be able to be stimulated with both. And like right now, we're working on two different things, working on with a guy named Mitch Schuster and, um, uh, in New York, who is a, um, a lawyer who raised money and hired us to write a, you know, a script that we're tentatively calling the list right now, which we'd like to get made. I'm working with Intrepid Films on Black Tide, which is, you know, Trevor Macy's company, which is something that I'd like to make. On the same at the same time we're working on all this television stuff. So the meetings, which is back to your question, I'm sorry it took me so long to get back to it, but it's it's that I just don't count on any particular thing happening because I know seventy-five percent of what I put out there, it's not gonna come back as anything. It might lead to something else, it might be a bridge, but the more um, people you know the more i the more you put your ideas out, the more you follow up on your ideas and really make sure that they you're completely have followed up on them. the more chance you do have to survive out here and make a living it's tough and so the meetings it it's it's I'm, I'm almost never turned out a meeting unless it's with someone who works for someone that I know really well and I know i don't really need to meet that person, but this person is always going to be someplace else and I just think um, getting out there, you know, I can't sit in front of the computer and write all day. I can waste time reading every newspaper like I do every day. But I think um, the volume of of meetings that you take and the people you meet and the things you learn from them are always going to help you.
1: But I, I think that, I mean, I think that's a very exalted position that you're in right now. Just from the people that I know, some of whom are extremely talented None of whom can get an agent of any type, whether it be as an actor, as a writer, as a director. It's like and yet I'm
2: really middle class professionally. I'm not a star. I'm really not. I'm not getting. Uh, I'm not getting offered studio movies. I haven't played that card yet. I was supposed to direct The Mod Squad, and that didn't work out. So there's still that promise for me, but there's also that sense of, I don't know. She's not twenty. I'm not sure. Type like of thing. that has anything to do with directing. It's so absurd. I know, but it's okay. You know, it's not personal. thing that I've learned that really has helped me emotionally is if people don't want to work with me, it's not personal. It's they have other agendas and other reasons, and they'll come back to wanting to work with me because I'll fit into the agenda, and the agenda that they have will change. And I, I can't take it personally. As far as having agents, um, I think that the feature side of William Morris is not really there for me the movie that I recently directed which we should talk about Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror which is going to come out in November Xenon is is releasing it that was came to me through a friend Um, I invited them to the screening and they all loved it and maybe maybe they'll figure out how to use it for me but I think um, they're not really active for me in that way Um, the television side is that that's you know, this week. So when you
0: say William Morris, you're talking about William Morris, the the agency that represents actors, directors, and I don't know whether they represent writers,
2: producers too. Writers, writers producers, and producers. And They've been around for they're one of the big, big agencies in, in Los Angeles, and they, they also package for television. They do package, and so that's a whole that we could just talk about for three hours if you want to get into what packaging is and how that works.
1: Well, what is it?
2: Well, there's different kinds of packaging. There's packaging of a property to make it more valuable. There's the package, which is if you have a television property with an unrepresented um, producer, executive producer, they sometimes if they put it together in a certain way, the network will give them a package fee, which is a massive amount of money of great value. And that is why television runs the business out here much more than film is because of those packaging fees. Because ICM somehow decided they didn't want Nancy Josephson around, um, and she's now over at Endeavor. I don't... Nancy or Nina? No, that's Nina Jacobson. Oh. Nancy Josephson, who was the agent for Marta Kaufman and David Crane, um, and I guess Kevin Bright, they created Friends. I think she probably made that agency more money on that particular movie, I mean, a television show, than anything probably that they've ever had. I bet that, that made more money than Mel Gibson. So to me, I, I don't understand why she, they, they replaced her with some other people. She's so brilliant, that, that Nancy Josephson. But either way, she ended up on her feet someplace else, and she's probably just as happy where she is. But package fees on television shows...
1: So are the bombs? so what is a pa- so a package fee let's say that I'm ICM and I put together friends or one of my agents does do I take I take a piece of the budget or I take a piece that's of the exactly what it is you get a piece of the budget So forever? for every episode?
2: for everything it's and then you get a piece of the syndication which is the big kahuna and you know it's I don't even know how it all works exactly I'm a little naive about it but each point of a show is about a million dollars of value to a writer. So if you transmogrify that, I, don't even, I can't even wrap my mind around it. But the word package also is, hey, can you help me package this? It's um, the list. We'll talk about this pro- project we have. Uh, independent producers found us with the idea and miraculously found money to pay us. This is very unusual. Lots of people probably tell you, oh, I have a great idea for a TV show. I have a great idea. My life is so interesting. And <laughs> it isn't. Um, you're polite. Except
1: and, ours is. Mine is very interesting. You're very, well, <laughs> okay, that, that goes without that, saying. But,
2: you know, and these guys, it was a good story. And we said, well, we will help you with this, but we will not take your personal money. No, because we know them personally. Um, one of the wives of one of, um, of, of Mitch I grew up with. So um, they found an investor and we're writing this script for them. And now it's how do we put it together? How are we going to make this movie? Am I going to direct it? Is Jonathan and I going to direct it? Um, are we going to try to find a bigger director? We gave it to Brian De Palma to read. He really liked it, but he thought
1: it should be something different. You know, it's an interesting thing. You know how how so each one of those decisions will affect. Yeah. the budget and, and who it And Mitch it attracts. is a lawyer, and Mitch,
2: he's so funny. He says, uh-oh, you better watch out. I'm going to watch Entourage tonight, and I'm going to be very depressed tomorrow if my movie's not in production. <laughs> he makes me laugh so hard. So, but, I, you know, the, the thing about the movie is it's, it's a movie like Mystic River or like, I mean, that's a perfect example of what it's like intonally. And it's a great part, and I think we're going to find a big actor to do it. Is it going to be a $100 million budget? Well, I said to Mitch, if, if, we, if you try to sell this, and I'll support whatever you want because you're the producer and um, we can try to find a big director for it. We can try to make it ourselves. If we sell it, we'll have no control over it. It probably will never get made. And it will be a beautiful property that you will have a track record of having sold something to a studio.
1: That's like what happened to me 10 years later. thirteen. No, wait, 12 years later, they still haven't made my movie. Yeah. And it's still as funny as it was... It's a great script.
2: I love that script. Do you want to name that script?
1: Name that script. <laughs> it's called Mr. Hawaii and it was purchased by uh, Mandalay, which became Escape Artists, and then it went to Paramount, and then it went to Fox, and then it went back to Sony, and now it's at Sony, and still nobody has made how it. How much money is against it? Two million dollars at this <gasps> point. <laughs> so, Who got all that money? Well, Peter Goober got a million dollars. Did not. Just to walk away. Um, we were paid, um, and then Jay got paid again. Probably so,
0: no, he, you know, he didn't. You were talking about no. Jay LaCobra,
1: La right? co-writer. We got paid three fifty against seven fifty. So yes. they still. Uh, so you know, we're just hoping that one day they make it so that we can get the four hundred thousand. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So I want to ask you a couple of questions here. Sure. One is, when you go into a meeting with someone. Do you, have, do you say in your head, this is what I want out of this meeting and yes. I'm going to go for that? Yes. So is that really important to nail that, that down? I
2: think that you have to know what you want before you go into a room. And sometimes all you want is to have lunch and get to know someone. So because you're shopping for personalities of who do I want to give my next spec to? Who do I want to be partners with television wise? The television business is interesting in that, you know, Jonathan and I will come up with a lot of our own. Ideas. sometimes people will pitch us their ideas. This season, we are partnering with some different people based on, we we were going to partner with a couple of companies, um, but, you know, it was our ideas. And then someone just walked in with this idea that we loved. So that's that's what makes them have an asset. So we went to that meeting saying, we want to partner with these guys because they had this asset. Other times, I'll just be like, you know, this person is going to be good to develop with. Movie-wise, you know, I'm not in a lot of those rooms. So in that rarefied way, I'm hoping to get back in those rooms by making Black Tide and this new movie coming out and making money and maybe getting the list out there. But um, the volume in television is very intense and it's a machine and there's, there's it's very seasonal. And right now it's pilot season and the networks are buying. So my phone's ringing a lot. Come October, it'll die down again Hopefully I'll have sold a couple to be writing, but if not, hopefully I can get my movie bait. You know?
0: One of the things about you guys that I really um, find uh, inspirational is the fact that you work together, both of you, you and your husband, you work together and you create these projects. And then also you guys have this incredible ability to embrace whatever's out there. Where other people are kind of complaining about it or this and that. You guys are just embracing everything. In fact, Jonathan just was on Survivor. From yeah, what he I understand.
2: just did isn't he the funniest. You know, a lot a <laughs> of far. us are going,
0: Oh, that he's starting reality shows, they're ruining it <laughs> and we can't get any acting parts and here he is out there on some island or I something. Don't
2: think he's a <laughs> nut job. I don't you know, he we were at um, friends of ours that are actually friends of, of Kamala's, um, Ken and Hope Biller, it was a birthday party and another friend of their, of hers was there and it was the casting director. For Amazing Race and Survivor. Her name is Lynn. And she saw, you know, it wasn't a big party, but there she was. And she was like, Hey, do you want to do Amazing Race? And Jonathan and I have small children. And so, you know, we were like us both being away for 45 days. I don't think so. And then, and then he said, but what about Survivor? And she said, I don't know if you really want to do it. And that was in January. So cut to June 19th or 20th. I forgot which day he left. There he is going off to do this. <laughs> I'm like, I can't even, excuse me, fucking believe this. 45 days he was gone. And you guys have two beautiful two children. Two kids. And he's my writing partner. And my nanny quit before the beginning of the summer. So it's just this funny, like, oh, Stacy's going to have to pull it together. But it was fun. Actually, it was good. I now cook better and I now don't get lost when I'm in the car as much. And Really? Yeah. I've had to, because I didn't have anyone to call and say, where am I going? <laughs> So I had to kind of just do it because I had to print maps and really be like more of an adult. It made me more of an adult. And so it was good. But yeah, he's, he did the show. It airs, um, this fall on CBS and it starts on um, the premieres on our 15th wedding anniversary, which is September 14th. Wow. Wow. And, um, he had a blast. I can't really talk about anything that happened, um, after he oh, left. You have to watch how it unfolds. Uh, exactly. I'm not allowed to talk about any of it, but, um, I, you know, he's a he's a smart um, person and he's he's calculated. He's a good chess player, so I'm really curious to see how it all played
1: out. Yeah, me too. So,
0: also, you um, embraced the horror genre. You're doing, you did Snoop Dogg's House of Horrors. Hood of of horrors. Hood of horrors.
2: (laughs) I had a great time on that movie. Um, You know, Snoop was really fantastic. He's brilliant and he's really he's such a star. You know, his presence is just palpable. He's really amazing. And I got a great cast for that. You know, the editing process on on that was kind of funky. You know, they they ended up, you know, recutting it a little bit. But it, all in all, it's turned out really well. And um, there's some great young people in it. Um, Pooch Hall and Daniela Alonzo and Aries Spears. It's three different pieces. There are three different comic books. Um, it's a wonderful uh, franchise, I think, because it's it's crazy zany political intense horror. I mean a guy named Teo Johnson, I think is a professional football player still. He was on the he was on the Raiders when he did the movie. I think he's on the Cardinals now, I'm not sure. He slips and like he has a 40 in his hand mm-hmm. and it goes through his head.
0: I will never forget that scene. That as long as I live. So, <laughs> oh, yes, so. I know,
2: so it's got a crazy tone that's really fun. And um, John Gaeta did an amazing anime that's been cut into it that's really powerful. Um and uh Ernie Hudson's in it, um Richard Gant, Tucker Smallwood, I mean this all these guys did a great job with Anson Mount in one piece. Daniela and, and Noel Guglielmi. I don't know how to say his name right, Noel, I'm sorry if you're hearing this. Uh you know, uh Daniela Alonso and Danny Trejo are in one piece. Uh, and then the third piece is Pooch and Aries and uh, Lynn Shea, Brandy Roderick's in the movie. We just got a great cast. Um, I try really hard to do that. Um, Freddie Louise and Annie McCarthy casted, and they are just brilliant and did an amazing job. I'm say Anson Mount is really an incredible actor. I really think he's as good as any actor I've ever worked with Um
1: I think He did a great job in that part, and it's a very, very unlikely role for him. I'm surprised that you thought of him for that part.
2: Um, he came in and read for it, and he was absolutely perfect. And everyone wanted to try to get a big name and whatever. And that guy, I mean, he's an Edward Norton-level actor, I feel. But, you know, I got lucky on that. You know, we worked really hard. I mean, this young girl, Danielle Alonzo, brilliant. Pooch Hall, Aries Spears. I mean, I really... You know, if you really work hard in your casting process, it's like, they make your, your work so much easier, especially in a movie like this, where I'm doing three, four takes, it's running and gunning. You know, one location, trying to make it look like three different locations. How, How many, many days? 24, I think I should ask. I had a great um, AD named Mike Etheridge, and he um, he really made it happen. Thank you, Mike, because it would not have happened without him. If anyone can hire the best AD ever. That is the man to hire.
1: Really? Oh. But he's in the DGA? He's actually not DGA. How can you work with a non-DGA
2: D? It's your second um, AD and your PM. You have to have two other positions in a low-budget movie. It's complicated how it worked. But um, Chris Tuffin and John McHugh, the guys who produced the movie, they um, they wanted him, and it was a great choice. They really, They really surrounded me with some great people.
0: How do you keep abreast on the industry as far as knowing who all the people are and you're very good at uh, knowing all the players and also knowing (laughs) all the actors yeah yeah how do you how do you keep up with it all of it
2: well jonathan's a little bit more of the it's almost like you have a left brain right brain relationship or the two alpha dogs they share the plate he you know i'll be sitting there and i'll be like what's this movie and he'll instantly know the movie he'll know the year it was made he's kind of like bizarrely like like he's a little bit um, what was that uh, character that uh, Dustin Hoffman played? He's a little Rain Man about like, these details. Because he used to read variety when he was like 14. It's kind of mm-hmm. scary. He didn't collect baseball cards. He, he has all his old varieties in the freaking garage. It's weird. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. But in terms of names, I, I'm actually bad at names when mm-hmm. I like, see someone's face. I'll be like, what's your name? And like, I know this person really well. Uh-huh. It's a hard thing. But I think um, I, uh, I just try to keep track. Stuff mm-hmm. I think um, you know. Hopefully, as I get older, I'll still remember everyone's name. You know, if, if you're if you if you're a survivor in like a literal sense out here, and you mm-hmm. just lasted, you've been around a long time. People you know come and go, but the people who stay and work their butt off, and that's who
1: lasts. You know, Joel always tells that great anecdote. Who was it that said that about the bus? Tell, say the bus. Well, thing.
0: I heard this very secondhand, and I'm, this is just something that goes around town. I don't know whether it's true or not, but apparently, Harrison Ford said to somebody, the only way to make it in this industry is to stay on the bus. People get off the bus, people come on the bus. But as long as you stay on the bus, eventually you'll get That's to the exactly destination. a
2: great metaphor for what I'm talking about is, you know, you, you want to be the one who, who, who quits and fires yourself and changes your life. If you want to go be a professor or go work for Google, I mean, there's always these different things I entertain just to sort of say, wow, do I want my children to grow up in Los Angeles? I'm struggling with that. But if you stay here and you continue to to soldier on, you're going to get stuff made and you're going to have that satisfaction. You know, maybe you're not going to be able to do as well as some of the people you came up with. You know, my first Sundance Film Festival. Some of those people aren't working anymore, and some of them are making you know hundred million dollar movies every year. I kind of fall in the middle. But you can't be upset about what people don't want you to do you can only be doing what you want to do because you can really psych yourself out you can get depressed you can say oh my god why am i not getting this attention why is this person doing this and it's just it's really important to just enjoy your process and just keep putting energy out there because
0: i have to look down to see if i'm still on the bus
2: I I, am. I'm definitely looking out the window of the bus (laughs) a lot, but.
1: (laughs) I remember there was one point in your life when I was here where you were just like, that's it. I'm selling the house. I'm moving away. I can't take it anymore. I think it was uh, during the whole Dolan's thing. That was bad. I was sad.
2: You know, it was hard because, (sighs) you know, agencies, it's all about making money. And it's not personal. And if they stop making money with you. They're going to move on to the next thing. Managers. I had a great manager who fired me who just...
1: What was that
2: Cynthia? Uh, no, not Cynthia. I'm someone else. You know, and I'm friends with her now. It's okay. She just had other stuff that she needed to do where she was going to make more money. It wasn't personal. I took that really personally. And that was the last time I took that stuff personally. But another thing they do is they sell to low resistance buyers. If what's ever easier for them is what they're going to do. So in television, most of the meetings I'm getting are other people that William Morris represents. I have a manager now to try to offset that who says, this is just a smart person I want you to meet with. That's another thing to do. Then maybe you get a couple fans. There's a wonderful um, television executive named Stacey Adams who just has my back and she'll just try to hook me up with people here and there. She's now working at Current at CBS. She was working at the Paramount Studio for a while and you know was responsible for a lot of work that came my way. You get your fans. But with Dolan's, they... Basically set it up with, Miramax almost bought it. We went down the road with them. And then they sold it to what was um, then a Franchise Films, which was Elie Samaha's company. And everyone knows the lots of stories about them. But look, Elie Samaha made a lot of movies. Good for him. I mean, he really did. And he had a smart woman working for him named um, Tracy Stanley. I think that was her name. And they, they But they were really a low-resistance buyer. They took a lot of projects. They took a lot of projects and they, um, sorry, just making sure there's less sound in here. Uh, they take a lot of projects and they, uh, they put them out there and they see what sticks. And that was kind of what happened with Dolan's. There were two years of near misses with it, where Sylvester Stallone and Kevin Bacon were doing it. And then, I don't know if it was William Morris' fault or whomever, but Kevin Bacon got another movie. And did that other movie that he did with Charlize Theron. Um, he fell out. I was incredibly disappointed. And then it became the weird merry-go-round where Cuba Gooding wanted to do it. And Val Kilmer wanted to do it. And then Sly was out. And then Gabriel Byrne and Freddie Prinze Jr. wanted to do it. And that seemed to be the moment when it was really going to happen. And then that fell apart. Um the financial people, the English financial people that were supposed to do it fell apart and fell out. And that was really depressing, but that script got me into the television business and I've sold eight pilots. So don't quit. You know what you're looking at and what you're seeing is maybe not going to be, you can't, you're not God. You can't look at the rug, you know, that, that metaphor for God, that's thorough. It's a rug. And, there's someone above it looking and seeing the patterns. And underneath, you don't see it. There's lots of weird strings and whatever. You just, you don't, you're not always seeing the bigger picture of it. And, and, and actually, it was, was good that I didn't quit then. Thank That's God great. you didn't quit.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to have to wrap it up. Okay. We're at that time now. We're going to do our...
2: So everyone should go see the Snoop movie in movies. November when it comes out. Great. And please buy it on DVD. Snoop Dogg's Hood of
1: Horrors.
0: Hood of Horrors.
1: yes. So let's do our film bites.
0: It's now time for the film bites. Kamala, do you have one? Oh. Oh.
1: Um well I guess my film bite is if you um find somebody that you admire, like I admire Stacy and Jonathan. And I admire you too. Um just use them as an inspiration and keep going and just I mean, really just keep going, I guess, is the most important thing. Um, mine is hire yourself,
2: even if you're making these days, you can buy a camera and you can do stuff on the weekend and you can put together a movie yourself and edit it on your computer, hire yourself because then other people will find you hireable. They only want you when everyone else wants you. And the only one way everyone else wants you is if you already have a job and the way you have a job is if you hire yourself it kind of goes backwards that way.
0: That's great. Um, I'm just going to end it by saying um, thank you to Stacy because there was a time where I uh, was having a real hard time just figuring out what the hell was going on with my uh, acting career and my um, filmmaking career. And um, you guys hired me to do a small part on the um, the, Lone the Lone Ranger. And that was just a real uplifting thing for me. And it was Aww. a really great experience to go work with you guys and see how you worked in that environment, which was somewhat, I would think, foreign to you because you were just brought in to produce a television show. And that was just a really inspirational thing.
2: And a Western. (laughs) A Western, nonetheless.
0: Here they were when they had stagecoaches and horses and all these things. And so I just want to say thank you for that. Oh,
2: my God. It's my pleasure. And I love you guys. And, I mean, you're an inspiration to me, too. Your relationship's an inspiration, too.
0: All right. We're going to end it on that note. If you have any um, questions or comments for us, you can email us at Camilla. At FatFreeFilm.com or Joel at FatFreeFilm.com. And we'll see you next week.
1: We'll try and find a way for you to get a hold of Stacey's short. It'd be fun for people to see. I'll try to figure that out. To, that'd be great for people to get
2: I'll give it out for people to download. I wouldn't have a problem either. Thank you.